Galatians chapter number 2. One of the frustrating things sometimes is trying to live a Christian life. I'll tell you what's more frustrating than trying to live the Christian life is trying to keep from becoming a Christian. Uh, You can go through this life because you were born into this world and you can do all the right things and try to be a good, decent person, but that's not the same as getting saved. Getting saved is not about being good. Being saved is not about joining a church. Being saved is not becoming religious. There's a lot of terms for it, salvation, redemption, conversion, Christianity. All those are referring to the work that God does in a person's heart and life. When a person recognizes Jesus did die on the cross and he died for my sin, and you realize your greatest problem is not which side of the tracks you were born on, not your family history, not your problems uh, as far as your strongholds and addictions and your temper and your anger and your lustful thoughts. You know, your biggest problem is sin, period. It's sin. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Your sin, my sin. And when you and I realize that, then we are a decision closer to being able to experience freedom found in Jesus. You recognize sin is your problem, then the Bible speaks of separation from God, eternal separation. The truth is we live here for a short time. You go into a cemetery, if you can read the tombstones, you see a birth date, you see an ending date, and what is in between is your life and mine. It's just a dash. James says our life is but a vapor, a cool morning. You walk out, you speak, and a puff of smoke comes out of your mouth. And James says in chapter 4, our life is so brief upon this earth, it's like a vapor. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. And if you ever try to get a hold of that smoke, you can't grab it, you can't contain it. And our life is just as fragile. You have a start, you have an end. And that dash in the middle represents the entirety of our life. Whether you live it poor, you live it as the most successful, the richest person here upon this earth. But you die without Christ, even if you're the richest man, you'll be a rich man in hell. You die without Jesus, you're the most educated, you'll be the most educated person in hell. See, the fact is, you die without Jesus Christ being your personal Savior, you die lost. And you will have to spend an eternity separated from God. Someone says, if God is so loving, why would he do that? Well, God is so loving that 2,000 years ago, he did something on the cross so you don't have to die and go to hell. No one misses heaven and spends an eternity in hell, but what they made a decision, I don't want Jesus. No, people want him as far as a feel-good convenience in their life, and many will say, I believe in God, but they believe in God like they believe in Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. You and I can believe that they exist and truly understand who they were, but that's not the same as what the Bible says when he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to understand sin is the problem. Hell is my destination, my consequence without Jesus. You know, Jesus preached more on hell than he did on heaven because he warned people, don't go to hell. 
We have people who fear COVID more than they fear separation from God. It is Jesus who said, fear not what man can do unto you, but fear the one who can destroy both your soul and body by sending it to hell. We ought to fear eternity more than we fear what can happen here upon this earth. And we understand then sin is the problem, hell's a consequence, but you come to realize Jesus is the answer. He's the answer because he's the one who came out of the tomb. That resurrection power. When you realize sin is my problem, hell's a consequence, Jesus is the answer. I don't want my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I need Jesus. Well, then how do I go from not being saved to being saved? It's not joining a church. It's not getting in the baptistry. It's not doing religious things. No, the Bible says one man asked that question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the Bible answer was, there's nothing you can do. There is a decision you must make. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Again, believing on Jesus is not like believing in George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. No, believing on Jesus is putting my dependence upon him. See, I get upon a plane and I'm believing it's going to take me to my destination. I am putting my trust and dependence upon that plane to carry me from Atlanta to wherever it is I'm going. In order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, in order to become a part of God's family, being a child of God, I have to place my trust and dependence upon Him to do what He died, was buried, and was resurrected to do in my life. What's that? Forgive me of all my sin. Give me eternal life. Credit His righteousness to my account. Move into my life and forever join me to Himself. See, that's a gift. That's not anything you can do because you and I could never do enough to get that. And so what I say is living the Christian life can be frustrating but it's not nearly as futile as not becoming a child of God. Amen. It's easy to get saved. Realize sin is your problem, hell is your consequence. Jesus is your answer. I don't want my sin, don't want to go to hell, I need Jesus. And make a definite decision to put your faith and trust and dependence only upon Jesus. I use the illustration so often because it just sticks in my brain. If I were to ask you, are you married? Well, we have a wedding band. You can get that at a pawn shop. In fact, if I take the wedding band off my finger, it doesn't mean I'm not married. If I put it on a 10-year-old's finger, it doesn't make them married. Are you married? Well, I've got the bills. Well, that doesn't determine whether or not you're married. I, we had a big wedding ceremony. I've been to many weddings that didn't cause me to get married. Are you married? What determines whether you're married? Not whether you love each other. What determines whether you're married? Not because you're living together. What determines whether you're married? Whether before God and man you met the requirements. Will you take? Will you vow? Will you determine and decide to take this one and this one determine and vow and take this one to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife and then it's pronounced before God and man, it's done. It doesn't matter whether you paid $5 or $50,000 for the ceremony. 
It doesn't matter what one's wearing. It doesn't matter the colors. It doesn't matter the kind of cake. It doesn't matter any of those things. And when it comes to a person being saved, we'll ask, are you 100% sure all of your sins are forgiven? You have eternal life. Many times the answer is, I love God. Well, that doesn't determine whether or not you're part of His family and heading to heaven. Well, I'm a member of a church. That doesn't determine. In fact, Judas Iscariot was a very religious man, one of Jesus' disciples. But with a kiss, he betrayed the Son of God. A religious man. He walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. But in his hypocrisy and emptiness, a kiss, he betrayed Jesus. He's in hell this morning. Why? Because it wasn't based upon what he did or did not do. It came down to a decision. He did not put his faith and trust and dependence only upon Jesus to save him. It's easy to get married. I do, I do. It's done. It's easy to get saved. I don't want my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I do want Jesus. And I place my faith, trust, dependence upon Him, and He does what He came out of the tomb to do, to be your Savior. But when a person gets saved, I still contend, sometimes it's extremely frustrating. It's frustrating because of two things. Number one, because of the demands of Christ. The demands of Christ are impossible. If you ever get honest with the Bible and you see what God demands, if you're honest, you'd have to say, that's not hard. That's impossible. Such as love as Jesus loved. Jesus is the one who said, love your, he didn't say love your friends. Some of you have a hard time just loving your family. He says, love your enemies, those that truly hate you. Jesus said, love them. Love as Jesus loved. And if you get honest about it, you have to say, I don't know that I can do that. It's impossible. Jesus, and that was in Matthew 5. In Matthew 6, Jesus went on to say, don't worry. Stop worrying about your eating, your clothing, what you're going to do, how you're going to make it. Stop worrying. Don't ever worry about those things. What is it that America has gone through and the world has gone through in the last couple of years? You say a pandemic. It's a pandemic of worrying. And God's not in heaven wringing his hands. Now, if he came out of the tomb, he can take care of about anything. By the way, we're just talking about a virus. We're not talking about a disease. It's just a virus. I say it's just a virus. He says, be holy as he is holy. We like to compare ourselves to, I know somebody in my family, I'm far better than they are. I know the preacher, I'm far better than he is. He didn't say be as holy as the church members, your family members, or the preacher. He says, be as holy as God is holy. And God is never sinned. I'm telling you, it's impossible. And when we understand the Christian life, that the demands of Christ, well, here's this one. Don't be bitter. Let all bitterness, all of it, all bitterness, wrath, and anger, 
clamor and evil speaking, let all of it be put away. All of it. Well, that's just not possible. And when you realize that the demands of Christ are impossible, but then another part of this is you realize that your resources to live the Christian life, they're unreliable. They're inadequate. See, a lot of times I read, love your enemies, don't be bitter, you need to be forgiving, you need to be holy, you need to be faithful, and I say, I'm going to do it. And so I take my Bible, I say, I'm a, I'm a child of God, I'm going to do the best I can, and I set out and I try to do it, and I fail. And I try to do it, and I fail. And I try to do it, and I fail. And I conclude, I just can't do this. And there are a lot of times we, get, we can get frustrated and so people just tend to give up because we see that the demands of Christ are impossible and the resources of me trying to live it is inadequate. So what happens is churches pop up all over the place where they end up taking their version of what they believe God is saying and they bring it down to a level of comfort, a level of convenience. But the truth is, you take anything that Christ says, and if you and I change it, it's no longer what he said. We need to take it as what he said, and we need to try to not bring him down to the level of our convenience, but rather we ought to take ourselves and bring us to the level of what he is commanding and demanding. But if you and I do that with all honesty, we'd have to conclude it's frustrating because his demands are impossible. And my ability to do it is inadequate. And you say, well, I'm very thankful for the good news this morning on Easter Sunday, the one time I decided to come to church, and, and this is what we get. I want to tell you why a lot of people do not get saved. It's because they see, if I can't live it, why would I ever sign up for it? And the reason a lot of people don't follow the one who they said saved them is because they feel like if I can't do it, why even try it? But you know, on the one hand, the demands of Christ are impossible to keep. And then I see on the other hand, my resources for keeping those demands, they are inadequate. Yet at the same time, I come to the Word of God and I see over and over and over and over the very fact that Jesus teaches that those, when you do get saved, when you do realize sin is my problem, hell's the consequence, Jesus is the answer. I don't want my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I need Jesus. And you make the decision, not religion, but by faith, I'm going to enter into this relationship and I'm going to put my dependence upon Christ to save, not catechism, not confirmation, not communion, not good works, not doing the best I can, not trying to keep the Ten Commandments. No, but trusting Jesus to do in my life what he went to the cross, what he was resurrected to do in the first place. And when I see that, I recognize that what Bible says over and over and over and over again is because of being in Christ and being a child of his, I'm an overcomer. I am a conqueror. Romans 8, he says we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. The Bible says in 1 John 5, the ones that overcome 
overcome. They're overcomers. They're not defeated. They're victorious. The ones who overcome are the ones who believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All the way through the Word of God, and especially the book of Acts, you find dripping off the pages that victory is the normal Christian life. Yes, there were obstacles. Yes, there was persecution. But one day after another day, one chapter after another chapter is filled with victory. No matter the obstacles, no matter the torture, no matter the persecution, they were living triumphant. See, the the demands of Christ are impossible. The resources of the Christian life are inadequate. And so this morning, I want to preach on the reality, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or how do we live victoriously? How can you and I experience the level of living that God designed for you and I to live? Douglas MacArthur, after the Korean War, made a statement. He said, there is no substitute for victory. And that's true for the believer. The fact is, we win or lose. That's why Jesus is saying to the seven churches in Asia Minor that every promise he gave was to the overcomer. He has no promises for those who are defeated. Every promise is given to the overcomer. One of the happiest days in my life as a Christian was when I woke up to the fact that I don't have to live in constant defeat. I don't have to be under the circumstances. I can live on top of the circumstances. See, God desires every person to become a child of God. And God has designed that every child of God live the victorious, supernatural, triumphant life of freedom in Jesus Christ. I don't have to be a victim and neither do you. You can be a victor. You don't have to be overcome. You can be an overcomer. And I want you to see the secret that's not really a secret. It's been here for 2,000 years. In this text this morning, Galatians chapter 2, one verse, verse number 20. Let's stand together, please, as we look at the Word of God and out of respect for the Bible. Let's stand. Look at Galatians 2 and verse 20. Let's read it together out loud, Galatians 2 and verse number 20. Did we lose microphone here? Here we go. Galatians 2 and verse 20 together, ready? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul gives us a tremendous secret and strategy to living the victorious Christian life. Now again, if you're not saved and you don't know you're saved, or if you think you're saved because of what you do, my friend, you're not ready to take your last breath. But when a person becomes saved, I want you to see the, the, uh, the, the key, the phases that God gives us here to victory that's found in Jesus. And I will say, we're going to be in Galatians 2 and verse 20, in it and around it for weeks here to come, because we have to get this before we get to chapter 3. Thank you. Please be seated. 
Once a person is saved, God is trying to get them to see. If you want to live above the defeat of this world that he died to save you from, if you want to get into victory, number one, the triumphant, the victorious life of Jesus is number one, the executed life. It's an executed life. Look at what it says in verse 20. I am, what's the next word? Crucified with Christ. You heard in that video that was shown earlier, the whip, the scourging, the pounding of the spike in his hands and feet. It was bloody. Crucifixion was a means of execution. It was a sentence of death passed upon that person. And the Bible teaches because of sin, the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, Romans 5, 12 says, all of the human race has been found guilty because of the same sin. And we have a life sentence to be executed. It's a life that has been executed once we become saved before Almighty God that God can work in. See, someone asked, preacher, you, you've been talking a lot about dying to self, dying to this, dying to that. Is that something new? No. Jesus talked about it in John 12 and verse 24. And he said, if a grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it's going to bring forth fruit. But unless the corn of wheat dies, it abides alone. In other words, no, no fruit, no life can come from the seed unless it dies. And Jesus is saying the only way that there can be fruitfulness in the Christian life is if a Christian dies. Romans chapter 6 would be a parallel passage. And Paul talks about that whole chapter about the Christian being dead, dying with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 14 of this same book, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. See, all the way back through the Gospels, Jesus kept coming back to this one secret to his disciples. See, those, once you get saved, you ought to follow Jesus. It's just normal. Follow the one who saves you. You get married to somebody, then it's a good idea that you follow them out of the auditorium. You follow them and you're together the rest of your life. You find Jesus. You meet Jesus. He saves you. Then you stick with the one who saved you. And Jesus would keep coming back to this over and over and over with his disciples. He would say to them, you cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself. You take up your cross daily and follow me. You just cannot be my disciple. Why? Because the cross is the symbol of the method of execution. See, Jesus is saying, unless a man knows what it means to die to self, you can't really follow Jesus. And if you're going to dabble at religion, you're going to live frustrated in a relationship with God. He didn't die so you can dabble. He died so that you could be free. But you have to understand that it's the executed life dying with Christ. And there are two things I want to say about this executed life. First is that it is an actual past event. Notice what Paul says again in verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. 
He is speaking of a togetherness with Christ. Christ died 2,000 years ago. If you have been saved, if you're a child of God, what he is saying is, Paul says, 2,000 years ago, you died with him. If a man is crucified with Christ, he has to be crucified the same time that Christ was crucified. Jesus only died once. If I walk out of this building with my wife, I have to walk out of this building at the same time she does. She cannot leave an hour earlier than I leave and I say I left the church with her. There's no way we can do that. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. You cannot be crucified with Christ unless you're crucified at the same time. What is he talking about? He's talking about his identity. He's saying Jesus died 2,000 years ago for me. And when a person gets saved, we are now identified with having died with him. That's my identity. Everything else is secondary. Let me tell you one of the problems, one of the great problems going on tragically in America is, by the way, watching. Watching people as pawns believe the news, believe what everything's coming down the pike. They'll believe, if, if they read it on Google, they believe it is superior to anything God said in His Word. And they're going to believe things. You know, it's not hard to see the book we mentioned some time ago, how to kill 11 million people. How were they able to exterminate 11 million Jews? Well, they lied to them and they got them to believe it. Do you know what's worse to me? Because I wasn't living then, but how to kill 11 million people is tragic, but we're seeing it happen again today. You know how to enslave people of any color today? You keep lying to them and you keep believing the lie. And what happens is we've been told, we have been told that our race, our ethnicity is above anything that God says about me and him. See, someone says my identity is what you see. God says your identity is what he sees. See, when you get saved, you were not there 2,000 years ago. But when you get saved, God says... Yes, you were. Because when a person truly gets... This is why religion can't do this. Only the supernatural enabling of Jesus Christ, when a person takes the gift of salvation by faith, Jesus then declares, God declares, you died when Jesus died. You know what my identity is? It's not what's on my driver's license. It's what God says I am. I'm not in Christ because I'm in church. No, I'm in church because I'm actually in Christ. My identity, I'm not going to heaven because I'm a member of a church or because I pastor or preach. And you're not going to go to heaven if you're going to heaven because of anything you do. The only way we can get to heaven, because you can't steal a place in heaven. You can't sneak into there. You can't buy it. You can't rent it. The only way you can get there is to agree to the terms of the only one who can take you there. And when a person gets saved, our identity is now found in what he says. And he says, Paul says of himself and says of everyone who has been saved, I'm crucified with Christ. It's a fact. But when I place my racial or ethnicity identity above my identity in Christ, and by the way, that's what Peter did in Galatians chapter 2. We've already preached on that. What happens? We forget that God's grace is amazing. 
When we place every other identity above the identity that I have in Christ, I forget that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. So let me explain this. See, God sees every person either in Adam or in Christ. In other words, God sees every person either being in his family as his child or without his family not being his child. So in other words, everybody in here is either in Christ or you need to be in Christ. Everybody is either saved or in need of being saved. Everybody. And God looks at everybody as one of the two. If he sees you in Christ, he sees you dead with Christ, risen with Christ. He doesn't see you apart from Jesus Christ. He looks at me and he sees me identified with Christ. Now, I don't understand it. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross 2,000 years ago, he took me with him. That's what he's teaching. When Jesus Christ was laid in that tomb, I laid there with him. That's what he's saying. When Jesus Christ came out of that tomb on that third day, I was with him and I arose with him. That's what he means by I'm unified. I'm identified with Jesus Christ. Just as all of us sinned in Adam, so all of us, if we're in Jesus, are counted by God as dead. That means that when God looks at me this morning, he looks at me with Jesus and he sees me as dead to sin, as dead to the old life, as alive unto God. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't understand it entirely either, but I believe it because he says it. So the first thing you have to do is understand that in order to live victoriously, first of all, you have to realize when a person gets saved, you have already died. There's been a, a separation. Romans 6 tells us we're dead In Christ, we're freed from sin. That's what justification means. That's what we were looking at earlier in chapter 1 and chapter 2. See, when I got saved as a nine-year-old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus to be my Savior. And Christ's death became real in my experience. The only trouble, and that's what the Bible says, His death becomes real in our experience. The only trouble was, nobody told me that I died with Christ. I didn't know that for many years. That's why discipleship is so important. You know what? I didn't stay dead very long. I didn't even stay dead long enough for rigor mortis to set in. No, I rose up out of the tomb of my own self and I started going out trying to live for Jesus the best way I knew how. You know what's been wrong with me for many years? Well, I don't really need your opinion on that, but I'll tell you. The problem was I was a dead man. Once I got saved, I died. And I was trying to live when I couldn't do it. So when the, I would hear, you've got to love God. I would try it. When it would say, love your neighbors, I would try it. Stop doing this. I would try it. But I, I, I can, I, I would try to pray, but but. I could not truly pray because a dead man, well, it's hard for a dead man to pray. I can understand now why I wasn't able to live up to the impossible demands of Christ. Now, I, I, I understand now that my resources were inadequate. I was dead, but I just didn't know it. See, I died with Christ. That's the first thing. And you've got to realize it was actually an event. 
Just as Christ died on the cross, just as he was buried, and just as he was historically resurrected, when you and I get saved, that's why it's so important that you don't settle with religion, that you come to Jesus and you allow true Bible salvation to occur because he says what happened to Jesus will become your past and your identity is now found in Jesus. But that's not enough. The executed life is not only an actual past event, but it also must be an appropriated present experience. Now, this is where we get down to how it works. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. That happened in the past. But Paul says, I'm aware of it day after day. And one, in another part of the Bible, Paul says, I die daily. Now, what he's simply saying is this. It happened in the past when Jesus died on the cross, but I keep it up to date. I make it real. I appropriate it because I believe what he says. In Romans chapter 6, we're going to get there one day, but Paul's talking about what we've just been talking about with you here, that Jesus died on the cross, and Paul says, why would you live anymore in sin? How can you that are dead live anymore in sin? See, Paul couldn't understand these Roman Christians wondering if they could sin some more. He says, you're dead. How can you want to live in sin? In Romans 6 and verse 11, he says, now you've got to make this thing real. He says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. You, you, you've got to reckon. Reckon is this accounting term. You've got to do the math and come up with the realization. Now you've got to act like it. This is true. Jesus died, and when you get saved, he says, you're identified with him. Now count it to be so. Sometimes people have no problem being faithful to each other on their wedding day. Now, some have a hard time making it past that. But usually they don't have a, any trouble there because of all the excitement. But when the excitement wears off, and they say, well, why can't I? You don't know the demands and the pressures, and, and you, don't know, you, don't know, you don't know my situation. No, the whole aspect about marriage is that now you've got to reckon what has became a reality on a certain event. Now you reckon that to be so. You have to count it to be so day after day um, in sickness and in health. Richer or less rich? You've got to reckon it to be so. And Paul is saying, when you got saved, your identity is found in Christ, but you're going to have to reckon this to be so, and you're going to have to count on it. That means there is not anything that you can do to please God. There's nothing you can do to please, you can't. Well, what can you do to please God? And whatever you come up with, you can't. Once I realize that, what I'm saying is, all right, God, I agree with you. When I got saved, just as you died, I died. And what, what I'm saying is this, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm dead, and I do, by an act of faith, take 
that position of death. You made the motion, Lord. You say it, and I second it. That's what I'm saying. That means to reckon myself dead, I am counting myself dead. You say, I don't understand how to do that. Well, here's how you do it. First of all, you condemn your flesh. That's what Jesus did. You say, uh, what do you mean by condemning your flesh? What I mean is you must come to the place where, first of all, you recognize that God expects nothing from you but failure. See how this goes contrary to what we hear in church? Be all that you can be. No, that works for the army. It doesn't work for God. No, there's nothing in you that pleases him. There is not, he did not die because you are lovely. No. That's why the songwriter wrote, For such a worm as I he died. You, you've got to come to the place where you recognize that God expects nothing from you but absolute failure. There is not one thing that I can do to please God. This flesh, myself, I do not have the adequacy nor the ability to do anything for God. All I can do is fail. All I can do is fail miserably, miserably, miserably. That's all I can do is fail. God's already condemned the flesh now I have to condemn my flesh. I'm agreeing with God. All right, Lord, I condemn the flesh. I take my position this morning. I put myself into the casket. I, I recognize what you say to be true. While I'm alive and I'm breathing, I'm speaking. I, I truly, I can't do anything to please you. I can't preach to please you. I can't witness to anybody that pleases you. I can't teach a Sunday school that pleases you. I can't live for you. I can't do it. The old story of going out and trying to imitate Jesus Christ, trying to live up to the Christ-like character, trying to be a good Christian, that didn't come from God. There's no possibility that you're ever going to be able to reproduce in your life the character of Jesus. There's nothing in you that can reproduce Jesus Christ in you. You can't do it. So what do you have to do? Condemn your flesh. Agree with God. I give up, Lord. I thought all this time that I was pretty strong. I was pretty good. I thought all this time that maybe I could live up to the demands of Christ. I thought all this time that maybe I could live like Jesus. And I've tried to imitate him. And I've tried to reproduce his life and mine. And I realize now that's wrong. I can't do it. I realize now that when you saved me, you didn't try to repair my flesh. You tried and wanted and succeeded at crucifying my flesh. So first of all, I've got to condemn my flesh. The second thing is I've got to crucify it. Do you know that crucifixion is not self-inflicted? No one could commit suicide by crucifixion. Crucifixion is one death where somebody else has to do it. And the Bible teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit of God who's the undertaker. He is the one that is accomplishing the work of crucifixion. The Holy Spirit makes real my crucifixion of the flesh. Here's how it works. I'm going to live victorious. I'm going to love God with all my heart. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a server. And, um, and I'm going to do this. Well, if I'm going to do this and all these things and many more that the Bible says, the truth is I can't. And I'm going to fail I'm going to get frustrated. And if I'm just really determined, I'm a disciplined person, I'm just going to keep getting up and doing it over and over and over and over again. But what I ought to do is recognize that I have to take the position of death. So I asked this morning, are you willing this morning to die to yourself? Are you willing this morning to come and, 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 and say, God, my plans for the future, 
They're yours. My goals, they're yours. My life is not my own. My family is not my own. My ministry is not my own. I don't have any business telling God what to do with my life. I'm willing here this morning to come to the place where I say, yes, Lord, I'll die to myself. I'll take the position of death. I'm already dead, but I've never acknowledged it that way. I've never accepted the death. I've wanted to live. I've wanted to have my way. Like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Well, that worked out real well for him. I don't want to have it my way. I want it his way. I've wanted to live a life unto God, but instead I live in disobedience. I, I, I've not been willing to come to the place of total crucifixion and say, Lord Jesus, I died to my will. I died to my pleasures. I died to my affections. I died to my ambitions. I'm willing this morning to absolutely die to self, to be obliterated. I'm willing this morning to die to myself and by faith count myself dead. I right now by faith Take the position of death. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and He does the work of execution. He brings all the killing power of the cross into your life and He makes it real. And you stand before God dead if, if you're a Christian and you Take God's side in the execution. I'm dead. You then stand before God, the Bible says, dead unto sin, but alive unto God. What does it mean to be dead unto sin? It means it has no power. You take a drunkard, once he dies, you go put a six-pack on his grave. You come back a week later, he won't have touched it. He's dead. And when God moves into your life and you recognize what I've been trying to do, I've been trying to do it in my own strength and power, and that's never his design. If you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need him. But when he moves in and you accept what he says to be true, I am dead. Hallelujah. That's the best funeral service I've ever been to is when I find out I am dead to sin. When I got saved, I was identified in what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross, when he died, I died with him. When he was buried, I was buried with him. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected with him. You say, do you remember it? No. But he says it and that settles it. It's an actual experience. But it has to be a daily experience. See, every problem that I face now because I'm in Christ, it's just a cross to die on. Every situation that I find myself struggling with, I now understand it's just another cross to die on. Every sermon that I preach is just another place to die. Every criticism is just another cross to die on. You talk about liberty and freedom. I mean, what difference does it make if a person criticizes you? Amen. You go to the grave of one of your loved ones and you, you, you get down there and you scream at them how dirty of a person they were, how bad they were, and you just begin to tell them all the bad things you know about them. It's not going to affect them. Or you go out to the grave of one of your loved ones, you tell them how wonderful they were. 
They're the biggest stuff. They're the greatest hero. They're the most wonderful person. It's still not going to do anything for them. They're dead. And as a Christian, when you realize I'm dead, someone criticizes you, they can't hurt a dead person. A person praises you with flattery. You can't get a big head if you're dead. All of our problems in our church are over self. All of our problems in our marriage are over protecting self. All the problems in life arise from self. What liberty, what freedom is it to be free from self? No longer looking out for number one. You know, it's a full-time job to look out for number one. Always afraid that somebody's going to get ahead of you. Always afraid that somebody is going to get the praise for what you've deserved. I'll tell you what happened to me uh, many times. Sometimes I feel like myself is Dracula. It comes out of the coffin every once in a while. I remember in a meeting one time, somebody gave somebody, a preacher gave somebody credit for something I did. But somebody else got the credit. You know what happened? I rose up out of the coffin. I said, now listen, I, I need to help set the record straight. I mean, we want, to be, we want to be factual. We want real news. We don't want a, a spin zone here. And so I said, somebody's getting credit for something that I did. That's self. Isn't it wonderful not to have to look after number one all the time? It's a 24-hour job always making certain that I get everything that's coming to me and that I get my rights. That everybody treats me right, that somebody doesn't speak to me in a, in a wrong way or, and I get mad and puffed up and get my feelings hurt. That can't happen if I'm dead. That's what Paul is saying. You say, well, is that some magic? No, it's just that when you, by faith, are willing to accept your position of death and reckon on yourself being dead, the Holy Spirit then makes it alive. Years ago, Augustine, an early church leader, he was an immoral man and a wicked man before he got saved. When he got saved, God changed his life and like he should. One day he was out walking and, and, a, and a former lover noticed him and thought, I haven't seen him in a while and, and yelled, Augustine. And he didn't respond. Augustine! He didn't respond. And he just kept going. And she began to hustle and bustle down the sidewalk trying to catch up to him. Augustine! And she finally caught up with him. And she said, Augustine! Is that you? Augustine said, It's Augustine, but it's no longer I. It's Christ. What he is saying is, you see me, but it's not me. I'm dead. Wouldn't it be wonderful to really be free? Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. You're never going to get past first base. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been in the ministry. You'll never get past first base in this life that God designs for us until you're willing to die to self. You never will. Just to get self out of the way, take your position of death. That's the first key. That's the first step. It's an executed life. You say, well, that just doesn't sound like good news. 
It is when you consider the alternative. Jesus didn't have to die. If he would not have died, he wouldn't have been buried. He would have never been resurrected. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if he would have never come out of that grave victorious, our preaching would be empty. Our gathering would be foolish. The best that we have to look for is here and now. But because he came out of that grave, because he came out of that grave victorious, there's so much more that God has in store. And when you and I come to the point of realizing that God never intended for this to be all, And when you and I take the gift of salvation, not only does he wash all of your sins away, past sins, not only does he wash all of today's sins away, not only does he wash all of your future sins away, because by the way, he took care of all of them at the cross. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, it cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. All sin. But it doesn't become real for you until you take it. If the preacher were to ask, will you take this one to be your lawfully wedded? And that person says, let me think about it. Can I get back to you? I didn't really know that I was going to have to do that here. I was just coming to church. You are free to choose. But listen to me, no one is free to not choose. More people go to hell delaying. Some go to hell deceived. They really believe that Buddha, Muhammad, which by the way, we can take you to their place of burial. And they're still dead. You can be sincere about what you believe. Sincerity doesn't save you. Only Jesus can. Many will go to hell deceived. I've heard some who said, I don't care what you say. I don't care who God is. I don't care what the Bible says. I am going to go to hell like it or not. There are some who are determined to go to hell. One man said, when I go to hell, I will party with my friends. I said, you'll never see your friends in hell. You may hear them scream. You can laugh your way into hell. You'll never laugh your way out. Five seconds in hell, you'll know you made a serious mistake and you don't get a do-over. But most people will go to hell delaying. Not now, preacher. Not today. Will you take this one to be your... I need some more time. Well, sure, this is an important decision. But the most important decision is not what you'll do with your body or your earthly life. It's what you'll do with your soul and eternity 
hinges upon that. Would you stand together with me, heads bowed and eyes closed?